Welcome to Zen of Culture. I'm Nick Argel, and I want to help you build an organization that works. In this episode, I'm interviewing Peter Christian. Uh, the highlight for me was his explanation of how digital technologies disrupted the crayon industry. Hi, Peter. Um, thank you very much for, for joining me. Um, you're the author of What About the Vermin Problem, which is a book that I read recently and, uh, and we connected via our blogs on, on Medium. Um, would you like to tell us uh, a little bit about who you are and, and what about the vermin problem? Okay. Uh, well, right now I'm considered retired, although I've never been busier in my life, um, but I stopped uh, actively working in consulting practice at the end of 2018 and moved from Pennsylvania to Florida. Um, picked up and started to do a lot of writing, which led to the book, What About the Vermin Problem? Uh, and I'm in the process of writing a, a follow-up book to that, which is not titled yet, but uh, working on that. And I've picked up a little bit of consulting work since then and getting into some speaking engagement. So I'm staying pretty active. Uh, in regards to the book, uh, it was something that kind of took place over a period of years as I was both working uh, for companies and then working with companies as a consultant, I would run across very interesting situations, let's say, uh, strange uh, and some wonderful things that uh, people and companies were doing. And I would say to the folks I was working with, you know, someday that would be really interesting to put in a book. And I just never did it until I retired. And then I decided that it would probably be uh, the time to do that if I was ever going to do it. So I did. Uh, and what I'm trying to do in that is to share with um, business people, but really their life lessons in there, too, uh, about things that we do that can either be very uh, helpful to us in what we're trying to accomplish, or they can lead to some very difficult and maybe even destructive situations. And there's a really fine line between which way you go. You can, if you go one way, you can be very successful. And if you make a bad decision in the other direction, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble. Uh, so I try to point that out in the book, and I'm really using it as hopefully a helpful guide to folks uh, as they're going through uh, situations of a similar nature. And it's really funny because when you talk to people about some of the instances, they go, well, how did you know about that and, and myself? And I go, I didn't. And they go, well, I ran into something exactly similar to that or very similar to that. 
so um, so that I certainly I... found the I found the problem in the in the title of the book really relatable in yeah. terms of um, because because you uh, to, to to spoil the book a little bit um, you went into a factory and worked out how to optimize a whole bunch of things and worked out where everything was going to go. And there was a location that was kind of critical to all of the logistics, um, which um, was infested with vermin. I told my wife it was rats, but I, I, it may have been a different thing. And it was so incredibly obvious to the customer that they never bothered telling you um, about what it is. And, um, and I've certainly experienced that in terms of putting IT solutions into, into places. There will be often, there'll be something that is so fundamental to everyday existence in the organization that the idea of telling anyone about it is just bizarre to them. Yeah, uh, and that section really related to communication and how as much as we think we communicate well with each other, uh, we don't necessarily. Here was a project that went on for six or seven months, and it was like pulling teeth to get the information from the client. Uh, and certainly we weren't focusing on the fact that they would have a vermin problem in their factory. Uh, we've come across that before with other companies, mostly in the food industry, and, you know, that they, they put traps and, and so forth to, uh, to, to maintain uh, control over that. And here they were in an old mill and had been in there for probably, I'm going to say, 20, 25 years because I had actually interviewed with this company for a job before I started in consulting. Uh, and it never came up in any of the conversations throughout the entire project until that last day when we were presenting. And it, it, it was just dumbfounding to, to me to, to say, why would you not share that? Why would you not think that was important until the very last moment when there's very little you can do about it? Yeah. Uh, we could have. But then they said, oh, no, no, that's okay. We'll, we'll take what you've got. But it was just kind of silly, really, in, in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Um, and, and I think it is that, that people get so used to certain problems. You know, one of you know, my, my pet bugbear regarding work in general is the number of unsupervised supervisors out there. It's like we put people into management and then we're like, okay, from from here on in, we're just going to rely on your inherent talents. When you were more junior and you could do less damage, then we watched you like a hawk. Yes. But now that you've got the power to really, really ruin the entire business, we're going to just leave you to it and cross our fingers. And that just seems like insanity to me, but it's an insanity that no one talks about because we've all just adopted it as a way of life. And it's puzzling because we consider ourselves so much more educated and sophisticated and businesslike and so forth. And yet to allow things like that to happen, it's just kind of dumbfounding to me. There's so many um, avenues out there for educating people and people that are consultants like myself uh, that, that are willing to help. So the help is there. The assistance is there. The knowledge is there. And then, like you said, they just kind of throw people out there on their own and say, okay, go ahead, go do whatever damage you can do, and we'll try to figure it out later. And that's just baffling to me. Yeah. It's interesting 
thinking about like where you're coming from and, and where I come from, we both sort of have some some high stakes aspects to our to our careers. Um, you talked about consulting into the food industry. Um, I've done a lot of software for for medical use, which is you know um, one of the most terrifying things that I have has ever happened is a bug getting out in a in a drug prescription module mm -hmm. that I was involved with. And so I can say now that I've probably never killed anybody. And the word oh. probably is going to be with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, well, that's a good thing to know. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, 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 but I don't know. That's the thing. It's, it's probably. Um, uh, uh, but, um, but I imagine, you know, because a large part of your career you spent at Crayola, um, do kids eat crayons? And is that is there a potential for something to go wrong there? Uh, the answer to your first question is yes. Children do inherently eat crayons, not because we want them to or because Crayola wants them to, but for some reason they feel they're nutritious or something. Um, <laughs> so you have to be very careful because whenever you're dealing with children, uh, anything that can go wrong, um, no matter how minor it is, or even if you if, if they were the ones at fault, you have to, uh, you know, certainly be concerned about that legally. It's death if anything happens uh, to a child and you're responsible yeah. or, or accountable for it. Um, but we, we did our best to dissuade children from eating our crayons to the point where when uh, smell type things like markers and crayons became a big thing um, and we started to put scents on our different products, we had to change uh, both the, the crayons and the markers because if you gave them fruit type smells and that, kids would inherently want to eat them or suck on mm. them. And we were trying not to encourage them to do that. So we gave them interesting smells that weren't very appetizing that they could use. Um, you just have to do that. So you have to be very careful with that. But children will be children and they will uh, tend to, uh, to continue to eat them. Uh, they're all non-toxic. Uh, go through rig very rigorous testing in order to make sure that they are and that there's no problems. Uh, I, as a child, used to just like to shove them in my ears or my nose as opposed to in my mouth. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure there are plenty of those out there, too. I'm sure there's plenty of emergency room doctors that have had to remove uh, crayons from interesting places. <laughs> yeah, I, and that, um, that sense of responsibility um, that that you would have to have if you're if you're part of the the crayon making business um because i mean my, my impression is that working for a household name would 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 affect you kind of deeply is did it do that yes it did people particularly in the states because that we're the largest consumer of crayons in the world um it's not as popular uh, foreign to the U.S. as it is in the U.S. But when people would ask you or you'd be on, let's say, an airplane and you'd have something and they'd see the Crayola, uh, there was an instant chemistry and they would want to talk to you about it. And of course, if children were on, that was just like they lit up. So you always tried to carry some crayons and a coloring book that you could give. It was great publicity for the company, but people could really relate to it. It was it was really a wonderful experience. They were a terrific company. They are to this day. Um, 
and it was just fun. And, and of course, I had to deal with all the jokes about uh, if I wrote all my reports in crayon. <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we did, you know, if you didn't have a pencil or a pen around at the time, uh, you did whatever you had to do, but um but it was it was wonderful. I, I think one of the favorite things uh and they got away from that was they used to have factory tours through our facility and they'd bring the school buses and kill, kids would get off. Well, of course with liability laws after a while they stopped doing that. They opened up the visitor center. But I remember just before they did that, I was walking out in the parking lot when one of the buses pulled up and the kids all bounced off of the bus and the one kid takes his deep breath and he goes man smell those crayons and it just cracked me up you know you take oh. it for granted but here was this kid and that's what he appreciated was that crayon smell and that's what people related to so it's just a wonderful place and a wonderful experience i'll never forget it it was 17 wonderful years working there i really enjoyed it one of the things that you mentioned very briefly in the book that i found quite intriguing is the concept of digital disruption because um, the idea, you know, it, it doesn't occur to me as an outsider to all of this that the internet could affect a household name. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it, but, but this was something that was taken very seriously at Crayola, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it's one thing when you're competing with traditional uh, competitors, okay? But when something entirely new comes and you have to take a different approach, when all, when all sorts of leisure time activities suddenly are available to children uh, and crayons is not necessarily on the top of their list, uh, you've really got to work hard in order to keep their attention and to, to carve out that niche that... Um, uh, your product would fill and, and keep them interested in it. Uh, fortunately, kids in the age bracket, I, I think we finally decided that 4 to 12 was really our sweet spot for children. Uh, children still have that um, uh, creative uh, want, okay? And you can't get that quite honestly, with anything else. There's nothing like picking up a marker or a crayon or a colored pencil and drawing and using your imagination and coming out with uh, whatever it is that you, you come out with. Uh, and that's what we played on. And that's what we made an experience. And we tried to make it a compatible experience to some of their others. So do some of the things like you're doing, play your sports, do your dancing, work on the computer, and then draw it and, and create mm. from it. And, uh, and it, it turned out to be very, very successful. And, and we did a really good job with it, but uh, it was different. It was really different. Uh, uh, and I was very close to it. So I got to see some pretty talented, smart people uh, really solve that issue. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I, as a, as a kid in the eighties, I could never imagine a world where Kodak didn't exist. But they, yeah. but they're gone. Well, they're um, coming back supposedly as a pharmaceutical company, which is kind of amazing. But uh, so we shall see. But yes, I know Kodak was everywhere, and then gone, <laughs> just gone. Yeah, I guess they do know how to process chemicals. So right, um, so that yeah. But yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, and and I was I was talking to Jenna about um, Jenna, the pro- producer of the show, um, about this interview, and I and I and I and the, and the question came up between us: It's like, why would you use a crayon when there's Photoshop? Hmm. And, again, I, and I, yeah, again, it's that creative experience. There's nothing about co- coming out of your own hand as opposed to typing, you know, whatever the program is and and uh, doodle padding or whatever it is. Um, there's still there's still that inherent satisfaction that you get. Um, and uh, I think it'll always be with us, at least uh, as long as I live. Uh, so we yeah, speak. and there's a physicality and a smell that mm-hmm. you know, nothing, Photoshop doesn't smell like anything. No, no, no. Unless they come up with something and it sprays crayon out at you or something. <laughs> <laughs> and then the little kid will sit there at the computer and take that sniff and go, wow, smell that crayon. <sighs> oh, I'm sure there's someone out there who is working sh- on that. <laughs> probably be one of my grandchildren. <laughs> Okay, um, and so you've written the first book, What About the Vermin Problem, which talks yes. about the good, the bad, and the ugly in, in that mm-hmm. order. Um, what's the deal with the second book? Uh, well, after the person I was working with on the first one <clears throat> told me that nobody ever writes just one book um, and bugged the heck out of me to start the second one, uh, I started to think about, okay, I can't repeat the, the first part and I can't just tell more stories cause that gets kind of boring. So what would I do? And I started to think about what has influenced me in my life, what things and what people, what occurrences, what experiences, and kind of molded me into the person I am today, how I act, how I think, how I react to things. So I started to put together uh, different ideas on it. And in essence, that's what the book is about. We're still, I just finished doing the first draft on it and it's gone to the editor for him to start plowing through and, and doing all the corrections on English and, you know, saying this idea doesn't quite make sense to me you know let's reword it or 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 let's add to it or or whatever Uh, so we haven't really come up with a title for it but if i were to to pick one right now i'd say influences and influencers you know people who have influenced me Mm. and again to if you want to use the same uh, gender that I did before. There's some good and there's some bad and there's some ugly in there. Now, you have to pick and choose how you're going to go. I I hope that I didn't turn out to be ugly from some of the experiences, but there were some negative experiences that I learned from and said, boy, I would never do that. I would never do that to somebody else or to, uh, you know, to, uh, uh, to, to injure anybody, or um, I just think that's a silly idea. Why would I do that? But it also got me to think about you really need to pay attention to everything that's going on. Uh, and sometimes even when you're not in agreement, you get a different perspective that can modify or influence your thinking and, and how you act. So you need to be open to, to things at all times. We're constantly learning through our entire lives we shouldn't shut that off. And some of the preconceived things we have or um, 
things that we took for granted change over time, just like you were talking about with the, the uh, influence of the internet. I mean, growing up, yeah. uh, I, we didn't even have computers. We didn't even have calculators until I got into uh, high school and college. And, and now look at, uh, I mean, everybody is walking around with a small computer in their hands that we call cell phones, but uh, we don't tend to talk to people much on them. We tend to text and, yeah. and, and you know, uh, download things and take pictures and all that stuff. So life has changed and you've got to pay attention to that stuff and adapt to it instead of fighting with it. Um, oh. <laughs> so that's what this book is about. It, and again, I'm using it hopefully as a learning tool to other people. When you experience as many things as you experience in life and to just keep them to yourself and not share them, I think is kind of selfish and I don't think it's helpful because people learn from other people. And I, I know my kids growing up, I, I would tell them not to do something. They go, well, you got to let us learn for ourselves. And I thought, well, to some degree, but if I really know that you're going to get hurt, why would I let you do it just as a learning experience? So at some point I would cut that off. Well, the same is true with, with your experiences professionally. If you can help people out and say to them, Here's stuff that influenced me. Here's what impacted me. Think about it, and maybe it'll impact you and how you think and act and react, okay? But at least it's perspective. Then I think you're being helpful to people. I hope you're being helpful to people and, and that they will take it that way and say, hmm, never thought about that before, but uh, that, that's a good point. I, I need to, uh, to pay attention to that. So that's really the, the genre of this. And I think it's a little bit more upbeat than the first book. Uh, I hate to say the first book was a little depressing. I didn't try it to be. I tried to make it learning. But there was the bad and the ugly in there as opposed to the good. So two out of three were not great situations. Here, I think it's a lot more upbeat. I use a lot more positive experiences, people who encouraged me, people who helped me, how they helped me, how they influenced me, um, whether I asked for it or not. I got it. Okay. Uh, and then there were people who didn't help me. It's amazing how many people in our lives don't want to see us succeed for some reason. Uh, and that's it was, really a shame as well. Yes. Yeah. There, there, there is one experience that I've had where looking back at it, um, there was a person who was actively sabotaging me. Um, and and that that was something that I refused to see at the time mm -hmm. um and and it's it's and it's very saddening to think about how successful we might both have been um if not for that taking place um i've also been in some workplace relationships with someone who was very disarmingly honest about how they were sabotaging other people mm. um, <laughs> and um and it's kind of flattering to be to be in on it um but at the same time um, that was a person who, and uh, like in, in both of those situations, um, the, the knife eventually turned and, and it did hurt me. Mm. Um, and so, uh, and so I'm not, you know, when you look back at things you want to learn from, that's definitely part of it. Um, you also mentioned having kids. Hmm. I found that my attitude towards learning changed a lot when I was a parent, um, mm. up until I had the kids, I was I, I believed that people should be free to make their own mistakes and all of that sort of thing completely. And then, then your two-year-old son reaches into the knife drawer. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, and he's looking at you confused about what is this red liquid on my hand, mm-hmm. and you have to start changing the way that you feel about about people learning. And I think that um, I think that one of the big tensions and one of the things that I really try to focus on in my work is how do you simultaneously give people enough room so that they are living their own lives and and having that fulfilling experience of making some mistakes and learning from them themselves without without it being injurious or excessive in terms of the pain that everyone has to go through as someone repeats the mistakes that you've made so many times yourself exactly and it's fine for kids because they're learning, they're exploring. But as you get older, you would hope that, not that the exploration is over, but you're a little more cautious about things and not plunging headlong in that you're using your experiences. And again, if you haven't had them, if somebody can share with you and say, you know, if you're faced with this situation, here's how you should approach it and here's what you should think about and again everybody's going to make their own decisions we're not trying to turn everybody into the same and robotic and and so forth but just consider this all right here's here's food for thought um and then you can make your own decisions so uh, it's been quite a process for me like i said it's been a lifelong learning experience i still am uh all this writing and and getting into social media was not my big thing uh, even mm. in my professional life, but man, I'm into it deep now. And, um, um, you know, I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. be an expert at it, but you can teach old dogs new tricks and, uh, and it's good. It's good. And it's the way of the world. So. Yeah. And the rate at which, um, our knowledge becomes obsolete is really, it, it, it's accelerating, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's incredible. It's incredible how fast. I, I forget what, how quickly things turn now and, and what the learning curve is, but it's just phenomenal. It's exponent, exponential in regards to uh, what the rest of uh, history was like. Just, and if we do get better at sharing our knowledge, then I'm sure we'll be contributing to the acceleration. It's, it's, it's an interesting problem in itself. I used, it used to frost me because when I was growing up, if you wanted to learn stuff, uh, you had an encyclopedia, which was usually out of date by the time you get your hands on it. You'd have to go to the library and go to research books. Here my kids had the internet, and they'd say, I can't find this. And I'm going, are you kidding me? The entire world is at your fingertips. <laughs> they have no idea what a library was and sitting there and going and then going and finding the one book that you needed that was checked out and you couldn't get yes. your hands on it. Yeah. It was like really In 10 minutes with the card catalog to then spend half an hour searching the shelves to then find out that the book has been missing for the last two years or whatever. So I would just get a little nuts with them and go, are you kidding me? I died. I would have died for what you guys have at your fingertips today. <laughs> and then we find ourselves doing the things that we said we'd never do. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, you know, um, you know, we, you know, there were cars available for us to go to school with potentially, or to go to work with. And, and, um, and you go back one or two generations and, and a car was not necessarily something that people had. Right. Uh, um, 
and 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 fun things that you can. Like my dad saying, "What do you mean you never put a coin on the train tracks and had it crushed by a train?" Oh yeah, we used to do it to try to see if the train would come off the tracks. <laughs> never happened. So oh, I'm glad my spent you. youth that I'm not telling a lot of people about. Yeah, mm. rocks that turned into powder. That was another one of my dad's. Mm. Mm. No, yeah. we never did rocks. We did pennies. Okay. Well, that's. I, I approve of that level. Okay, I wasn't totally corrupted. Then <laughs> um, and another thing that you mentioned in the book um, is the therapeutic value, and there's and there's something about being heard, isn't there? And, and and the opportunity to feel like these experiences we had were worth something. Sometimes to just get your thoughts out, um, you you carry them around, and you want to tell people. And it comes in bits and pieces because who the heck is going to sit there and listen to you for three or four hours, right? So you do it in snippets. But if you do it in a book and they can pick it up and they can read part and then put it down and, and pick it up and read it. Um, but, yeah, to, to get it out was very therapeutic uh, to relive that stuff. And then I would start to think about other experiences that I, I ran into. And and it was like, wow, um, I didn't think I led that dramatic a life but when you start to go through the different things that you've gone through and the people that you've met and the things that you've done and the places you've been it's like wow you know what that's I, I didn't realize I had done it as much as that and it, it's kind of cool so um so it was it was very therapeutic and it was also nice to to bring back different memories and, and think about them and and how I dealt with them and, and so forth and I still got more uh, like I said, I, I talked to uh, to the lady I work with, and I tell her stories, and she says, well, you didn't tell me that one before. And I said, well, I got a lot more I could tell you. And she goes, that's what you get to write another book. I go, wait a minute. <laughs> you already convinced me to write another book. Now you want me to write another, another book. It's like, slow down here. But, uh, <laughs> Sounds like a good problem to have. Yeah, she's a good lady. She's, she's really been helpful and wonderful, and I can't say enough about her. So, again, a person who entered my life who I didn't know a year and a half ago. I've only known her for about a year, and she's had quite an impact. So I'm very thankful for that. And there is something about getting it out there. I wrote, um, I wrote an article for Medium a week and a half ago, which has outperformed everything else that I've written there by, by like, you know, I was, I was feeling pleased about getting like 50 reads and mm -hmm, this, mm -hmm. this article in the last two weeks has had 500. Wow. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's delightful to have that, but it's also the, the amount of things that I had to remember. And there's a, there's a, there's a personal confessional element to, mm. to, to what I've written there. Um, that, uh, that I've, 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 I'm still a bit uncomfortable with it. Um, but there is, uh, but I do feel that I've, that I've come to terms with some things in the process of, mm. of, of saying something as meaningfully as I can. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And it, it's nice. It, 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 that is a wonderful place to share ideas. Uh, with open-minded people, and there are some that aren't very open-minded, so I've run across <laughs> a couple of them lately. Um, but to, 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 to discuss different viewpoints, to get your opinions out, to hear their opinions, um, it, it's interesting. It, it really is. And, and also, you can kind of pick and choose. I mean, you don't have to read everything that's there. 
So I, I do, I pick and choose and I find things that are interesting and, and I, I like to see what other people are commenting about things. So uh, again, getting different perspectives on things and just finding out where people are coming from. Yeah. Um, there's a reference there to um, something. Uh, there's there's a conversation I had uh, on Medium with, uh, well, I, I, I I had a I had an incident a, f a few years ago where I got blocked by someone that I liked on Twitter, mm. um, and I wanted to stop that from happening again. And so I wrote this thing, a guide to disagreeing with Nick Argel, and I tried to say, "This is what you can expect from me if we mm. get into a fight." Um, and there's there are two comments on that and, and Medium one. Uh, is a very flattering comment from someone who really liked what I had to say. Mm -hmm. um, and and the other comment is considerably less positive, we'll put it mm. that way. Um, and that's a person uh, with whom I had a, a professional relationship and we disagreed very much about how problems should be solved when you're, mm. when you're dealing with things. Um, and I guess, and part of what I'm doing now in terms of saying this to you is trying to find a respectful way to to deal with the fact that I had this difficult experience of someone saying some, something mean on my blog. How have you gone about dealing with with confidentiality and 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 respectful handling of the past? Um. Well, I try. If it's if it's been positive, then I have no problem naming the names because I think they should get credit for that, okay? If it hasn't been so positive, I either leave the names out, and I think I even mentioned that in the book in part of what I was writing. Uh, the names aren't important. It's the actions, stories that are important and what you take out of it. So you don't need to know who said what or did what, um, because that's not the key thing. I'm not trying to point the finger at a person. I'm trying to talk about the actions and, and where they were coming from, what they did do or didn't do, and, and so forth. Um, and so in the next book, I, I talk, I'll, I, in fact, you probably didn't see any names by and large in, in the first book, particularly of people, uh, no less companies. Uh, in the second book, there's more of it, but where they're positive interactions, they're real names and real people, and, and they're people that I'm going to thank. Where they were less than positive interactions, I've changed the names to protect the not innocent. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, just now, I have really mixed feelings about that, about the protection for the not innocent. Um, yeah, but again, I'm not trying to punish anybody. I'm trying to get viewpoints out again about things that impact, and in this case, things that impacted me and why I, I think and act the way I do. Um, so I'm not, uh, and, you know, you debate it back and forth. Uh, you know, should I mention the name? Shouldn't I mention the name? And then my, my boss, my wife says, no, don't mention the name, at, at which point I know that I'm not going to mention the name. going to have to live with that for the rest of my life. Uh, and she's a smart lady. She, she protects me, so she, she keeps me from doing some dopey things. Uh, yeah, I need to thank my wife at this point for her various, sometimes even successful efforts to stop me from doing stupid things. 
Yeah, except when she goes out and leaves me alone, then I can drift on my own. So <laughs> I got to make sure she's home a lot more uh, and I don't uh, not leave me on my own to do things. But uh, Is that why my wife is working part time now? I, I, mm. <laughs> yeah. Um, we seem to have reached a natural pause. I guess the question okay. is, do we have anything else we want to talk about? Um, well, I can talk for, I, like I said, I got lots of stories, but, um, I think, I think we've covered quite a bit. Um, you know, uh, I, 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 just like in the book, I try not to be repetitious. I try not to browbeat people. I hate it when somebody tells me the same thing, six different ways, but the same thing. Uh, mm. So I, I tried not to do that in the book. I, I make my point, I state my case, and then I move on. And, and uh, that's why the book is about 120 pages instead of like five or 600 pages, because I've read too many books like that, uh, that are, yeah. they just browbeat you. And after a while you go, okay, I get it. All right. You, you know, how many <laughs> more times are you going to tell me that? Um, and like I said, yeah, I've got lots more point. stories. So if I change my mind, then, um, yeah, book number three will come along at some point. Um, but I like writing articles also. Uh, I've posted quite a few in, in, uh, in medium. Uh, I've written for a local newspaper here, a couple of articles, and I've got another one that, uh, magazine that I, I deal with designed to part. Uh, I just, uh, gave them one on leadership. Uh, that I think is a pretty cool, it talks about five different historical leaders and, and how they, um, they were different in their own ways, but they epitomized what leadership is about um, that uh, hopefully will be out in October. So I, I enjoy writing on different things um, uh, and uh, I'll continue to do it. We'll just see how it, it all uh, you know works out. I may get into some teaching next, so uh, that'll be cool. I've done it before, okay. and uh, and I may do that. So there's there's lots of different things that I like teaching to be doing. anything yeah. in particular. Uh, well, I'm talking to one university back up north about doing a project management course, uh, which mm -hmm. would be really cool. And my old uh, undergraduate university, Rutgers, uh, I've been talking to the uh, head of the industrial engineering department, and he's going to have me doing a video lecture to. Uh, to his class sometime uh, this fall. So that'll be pretty cool. So, uh, no, uh, you know, I like to do that. I like to keep my hands in it and um, and uh, deal with uh, with folks and, and again, get knowledge out where I can and, and be ho hopefully helpful to people. Uh, I just had a very interesting experience. Uh, I've been telling folks about on Sunday, all of a sudden out of the clear blue, I got a, a message from someone on LinkedIn and it was a, a lady who had been an intern uh, when I was working at Crayola. And she saw my name in a, an alumni publication and she got in touch with me and told me that I helped mentor her and had a good influence on her and her professional life. And she wrote to me after 40 years to tell me that. And it just blew me away to think that she remembered that and took the time to actually write to me to thank me. And it, it just, I, it just 
it still hits me. It's like, wow, that is just so cool. What a nice person. And uh, to, to thank me for it, it just really, it just, I, I still can't get over it. I still can't get over it. Um, unfortunately, all the people I know from 40 years ago weren't around, so I can't write to them anymore. I'm going to have to wait till either I go upstairs or downstairs to talk to them about <laughs> it. But, but if they read my book, they'll be in there. So uh, if they're looking down, they'll, they'll see it and they'll know. So, but yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. And um, it's been great. Thank you very much. It's been great talking to you too. And um, look forward to the book. And um, yeah, uh, please continue enjoying your highly productive retirement. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do when I really retire. <laughs> but, uh, but, but the first phase has been pretty good. So it's, it's been interesting. I'm not getting bored. Let's put it that way. Okay, Peter Christian, thank you very much. Okay, it was great talking to you, Nick. Thank you for listening to Zen of Culture, part of the Mindwave Network. Presented by Nick Argel, music and audio by Jenna Zeno. Our contact details and those of our guests are in the show notes. <laughs>